Hey everybody, Jeff Kasouf here with another episode of Kicking Back, and this week I am joined by Sarah Spain. If you care about sports at all, I'm sure you've seen her on ESPN on a multitude of shows and different platforms there, and she is also a co-owner investor in the Chicago Red Stars as of earlier this year in 2021. So, fun conversation on tap here, not only about the Red Stars and the NWSL, but more about the league and the sport at large, how it is marketed, how it's covered, um, some of the inside baseball that that, um, we see and that she's been able to see from both a media perspective and now an owner and how that all meshes together. So hopefully a fun episode that you enjoy. Please go ahead, rate, review, subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We're doing this every week here on Kicking Back. Players, coaches, owners, different personalities within women's soccer. Happy to bring you these and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome everybody to another episode of Kicking Back. I'm your host Jeff Kasouf and I'm excited to be joined today on this episode by Sarah Spain. You know her from ESPN. You know her as uh, an owner now of the Chicago Red Stars. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to to talk. Um, you know, wanted to talk obviously about NWSL at large, and um, you've done a little bit of talking about the Chicago Red Stars in these these few months since the the big announcement. But have you gotten used to the ownership tag as part of your bio? <laughs> I still forget sometimes to include it, especially if I'm going to be speaking at a conference or something. And I realize it's it's pretty cool and also a worthwhile thing to add in in terms of the conversations that people might be interested in having. So um, still, still love talking about it and still learning a ton every single week about the team and soccer and the soccer world. Um, and, you know, frantically subscribing to as many places and trying to spend a lot of free time. Um, I've gotten various levels of advice on, you know, books to read, to learn more about the sport and stuff. And some of them are way too advanced for me. I'm like, (laughs) wow, you presume a certain amount of knowledge that I, as you do not have. Uh, so I'm just, um, you know, I love, I've always loved soccer to, to watch, but it's never been my wheelhouse and I never played it. So, um, just trying to catch up so that in case people like you try to ask me important questions about, you know, strategy or otherwise, uh, fortunately I could say we leave that to, we leave that to Rory and others, but I'd like to know about it more. Yeah. What, what are some of those books about sports ownership or specifically women's soccer ownership? No, no, this, this one. Um, so Chris Whittingham, who's part of the, the Levitard show with Stugatz is actually, um, an MLS announcer and does some NWSL games. So I reached out to him and he suggested this book. I'm going to forget the name. It's like modern coding or modern something. It's literally a history of European soccer and every country and their strategies and their approach and how it evolved to this. And I'm like, I kind of need to start with like diamond and like how, like that, you know, like I need to (laughs) start. So I ordered another one that I think is for like children's coaches. And I'm like, let's start with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, what, um, I mean, you said, you know, given that, I mean, what got you interested in the red stars with not necessarily having that soccer background? Yeah. Um, I'm obsessed with the U S women's national team, like not just as a sport, but as a stand in for a movement. Um, I often tell people like they started out just being aspirational where I'm like, Whoa, these chicks are badass," And then they become actually instructional, like following their pursuit of equal pay, following people like Megan Rapino, who have just taken over as someone who will, absolutely operate in her own most truthful and honest and genuine way. And we'll watch people line up behind her to follow Um, instead of whatever we always imagined about needing to fit into some neat idea of, of what it is to be a role model or what it is to be a a star. She's just her own unique self. And I think the team is full of women like that. 
And then for me, as someone who's like very outspoken and likes to balance being a journalist with a big J sometimes, and then just having a ton of fun, you know, the, the videos of them celebrating after the world cup, like, you know, Ashlyn Harris's Instagram was just like a nonstop rager of like pool parties and pouring champagne on dancing on bars. And I'm like, this is who I want my female athletes to be not always having to be inspirational role models, signing off autographs for kids. I want them to be fierce and badass and cool. And they all are. So my interest in that led to me however many years ago, finding out that Julie Ertz and Alyssa Nair and those folks were in my backyard here in Chicago playing for the NWSL. And it's such a crowded marketplace in Chicago that trying to break through when we have two baseball teams, football, NBA, WNBA, like every possible cultural music opportunity. Um, I hadn't heard a ton about them. And I went to a couple games and fell in love with the team and the stadium and the product and the game day. Um, so I threw a party uh, inviting a bunch of other Chicago folks on my social media to just come check it out. I said, I've got your beer. I've got your pizza. I've got your Malort. Just buy your game ticket. Come party with me for a couple hours and come check out the Red Stars if you haven't seen them. So I spent a little time with the majority owner, Arnim Whistler, that day. And then I also wrote a follow-up story um, on the game when they returned from the World Cup and on that sort of World Cup Olympic bump that these NWSL teams tend to get in, and how they might be able to proactively make sure that they retain some of those fans for even longer. And so I talked to Arnim again for that and some of the players for that story. And so when the opportunity to build this new ownership group came up, Arnim actually reached out to me and thought of me as someone who might be interested as a Chicagoan and a diehard and someone who had expressed interest in the team. So all of a sudden I'm like, first of all, it was an easy in once I talked to my financial advisor and made sure I could do it. But, um, but then it was like, okay, now I own a soccer team. So now I got to get a little bit more than just fangirling about soccer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's the, the sort of why, right? And then the, the background on, you know, I guess financially it's an investment. I mean, what, what uh, I don't think anybody necessarily listening to this or you or I would need the sort of sales pitch on it, but right. it has to make sense some to, to some degree in that sense as well. So what kind of, what did that look like for you in terms of why this is a valuable property? Yeah, this was my first big investment of any kind. And I've certainly had a couple little opportunities before this um, for other things. And I was just very hesitant. I'm pretty risk averse in general. And I'm certainly not someone who does a lot of like gambling or, you know, risk taking when it comes to my investments. I have a financial advisor for just that purpose. Like she's <laughs> in charge of like, do the right things with this and, and try to keep things humming. Um, but this opportunity combined both this incredible growth opportunity that every single metric is pointing to that women's sports is on the brink of a massive explosion because as far um, as the way it's been invested in or, or not invested in up till now, it's been sadly completely um, underestimating demand, underestimating growth potential. So I know that it's a good investment. And then I also know that if something goes wrong, I put my money where my mouth is and put it into something that I want to see grow that I care about. Right. So it's not an investment that I say, okay, call me in a couple of years. Let me know how it's going. It's this allows me to take a role and change the face of ownership to, to change diversity and sport at the highest level and hopefully help it trickle down and really be a part of what the next couple years and decade and whatever look like for this fairly young, not quite yet a decade league. Um, and that was way too big of an opportunity to turn up, um, turn down. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, when you've got Alexis Ohanian 
detailing all the ways that that this is the the smart investment when you've got the new fan project coming out from sports innovation lab detailing data driven why women's sports is the future of sport and already we're way behind on on really commodifying it in ways that that it can be um that makes it a lot easier to to like put my money in something i already love mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i think i wonder for a lot of people and you mentioned kind of balancing out the day and, and maybe free time is a bit of a a funny mm-hmm. thing to, to mm-hmm. call it, but um, I think a lot of people wondering, you know, Chicago, Washington now has uh, a consortium of owners, LA mm-hmm. coming in, you know, what does that look like in practice? And it'll vary by person, obviously, but mm-hmm. what, what is your involvement look like in sort of a, a tangible way? It, I think the teams, it varies differently. And then the owners, there are, I would say maybe and I don't know all of the behind the scenes. Maybe folks aren't coming to every meeting or interacting on our you know, emails and stuff, but they're doing a lot behind the scenes with the team. But I think it feels like of the 32 or so of us that are technically all, you know, have equity, mm-hmm. um, there's maybe 10 or 12 that are like really on an everyday basis trying to do a ton of stuff. And then some of the other ones, I think it's big picture, right? They have maybe less or, or fewer ties to sport specifically, but then they come in when it's big picture deals and sponsorships and connections to massive companies and corporations they've worked with. So um, for me personally, I basically just paid to give myself another job, I think is what I did. Um, In addition to all the learning I'm trying to do, it's also taking all the connections that I've made in my time at ESPN through my work, particularly with ESPNW, where I'm meeting a lot of brands that I know are interested in getting in on the women's space. Um, And then just giving a lot of opinions um, about the product and the game day and the way we promote our players and the marketing we do and all that stuff, because it is a world that I've been really into my whole career, but really, especially in more recent years, really trying to dig into um, just the flawed ways that we've approached the marketing of women's sports and also the lies that we've been sold as to it not being a product that's worthy of investment instead of just the people doing it have been either completely lacking in innovation and creativity or have imagined a world in which they would put in one billionth of the money, time and effort as they do for men's and then be able to come back and tell everyone, well, look, it didn't work. It didn't work like the men's did, even though they have hundreds of years of built-in nostalgia and interest and everything else. So um, the more I started to dig into how it was being done wrong, um, I think I wanted to change that. And so now I've definitely given myself a much bigger role than maybe uh, maybe they even imagined when they asked me on. Yeah, I think Arnhem Whistler on, on one of the, maybe it was the announcement call, mentioned you know you being quite active. You're even... Are you in board meetings at the league level and everything too, right? Um, not yet. So we have like okay. a deputy owner who mostly goes to those meetings with Arnhem, but we have had calls with some of the higher leaders at Angel City FC, certainly um, had calls with, you know, Lisa Baird. Um, and I'm, I am trying to interact with a lot of those people as I'm learning. Um, that's one of the things I'm trying to prevent, though, is I don't want to offer up an opinion on something unless I'm informed enough to give a good one. And so right now, a lot of it is the learning process for me and I have a lot of opinions on things. I'm holding back some of them while I wait to dig a little deeper into why those decisions are being made. Um, but I, I do plan on being vocal with some of those people as I continue <laughs> to get that info. Let's <laughs> say, don't hold back. That's yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd love to hear some of them. Um, well, the, uh, the crossover, you know, I'm wondering, I think, you know, having come from ESPN background, still being at ESPN, obviously, having the journalist background, um, you know, 
I think, you know, you've seen it in whichever sport. And I think it's a criticism, maybe unjust sometimes, but, you know, journalists can be pessimistic or cynical about, you know, what they're covering. And I think that's mildly unfair and, and you might agree, but you, at the very least, you don't have the perspective necessarily of being on the other side of it because you're not mm-hmm. an owner, you're not a coach and you're not trained in that or have decades of experience. So I'm wondering if there's something maybe, maybe even specific, or maybe it's more general that you've kind of seen on the other side now, early days and said, okay, I have a little more empathy sort toward that or, um, yeah. or maybe it's as ridiculous as you thought. I don't know. No, there was a specific, so I would say it goes both ways. On the one hand, now that I'm in on the decision-making when I hear about like, for instance, it just came up yesterday that someone did an investigation into the Blazers investigation into Chauncey Billups, where they claimed we dug deep. We we exhausted every opportunity. We looked everywhere we needed to. We really feel confident about this. And then the follow up is they never spoke to the accuser. They never spoke to the district attorney. They never spoke to the attorney representing the accuser. They never spoke any number of places that would have been one of the first places you'd gone if you really had conducted a full deep dive. When I hear about organizations running that way, that frustrates the hell out of me because that's a choice you're making. It's not too hard to do. It's you deciding that it doesn't matter to you and that it doesn't matter to you that you respect the fans and staff who are working alongside this person and players who just want to know that you've done a thorough investigation and that they can feel safe and that they can feel good about the decision that you made. Even if the decision is the same, even if you still want to go ahead with it, at least do your due diligence and take it seriously. And the cover-up is always worse than the crime. It is so much worse to find out decades later about what went on at University of Michigan now that we're finding out under Bo Beckler, Michigan State, Penn State, right? However you handle that in the moment, can protect hundreds or thousands of people down the line or the Blackhawks, right? We're hearing all these stories now. You handle that right when you find out about it, right when you find out about it and you make that decision. And whatever small stain might be on your team for associating with that person for a short amount of time, if you handle it right away, it's so much better than whatever you're doing, trying to cover it up for decades or longer and and the, the suffering that occurs because of that. So I have no sympathy for that. Like, I don't care how big of an organization, I don't care how difficult that may be. You handle that the right way because it's so much worse when you don't. And it's wrong when you don't. One of the ones that came up after that I did feel differently about ownership. And it was funny because my co-host Jason Fitz and I on Spain and Fitz, we often agree on a lot of stuff. We were just dead set on this. I was like, why do I feel differently on this? And it was when, and I'm going to forget some of the details. It was a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago. um, The Rangers disagreed with a call. And the Rangers as an organization not only put out a statement that they disagreed with the call that had been made by the higher up of player safety and development, but that he should be fired, that this higher up at the league should be relieved of his duties. And Jason Fitz was like, yeah, I'm all here for it. It was a bad call. You have to be protective of your team. And I said, "Uh, I'm cool with publicly saying you don't agree with the call, that you think that the decision was wrong, that you're protecting your player that got injured but you take the trying to get someone at the league level fired behind the scenes, because now I see that leagues are in partnership and teammates with the teams that make up the league. So if you, if you are criticizing a league employee and a decision made by the league, you're criticizing your own. And so I think there's a much more delicate balance there than I realized before. And I do understand in the sense that like what the red stars do reflects on the red stars and the NWSL and every other team in it. And that, relationship is pretty obvious, but I think on a more everyday level, as you are making decisions and deciding, there is something to be said for like understanding that these are not silos the way we often think of them. They 
all need to sort of answer to each other. And you could still have that opinion, but I don't know that it serves anybody to publicly state it and take out the legs of the league that you're in. Well, how's that been for a balance for you? Because that's a position where say you're covering, I mean, I think you've, you've probably set it up in such a way that you're not necessarily taking an approach like that journalistically on the NWSL specifically, but, you know, maybe it's another league where, um, you know, like I, someone will probably correct me on this, but I don't think I've ever written about or called for like a coach to be fired. I mean, certainly acknowledge that, Hey, a coach is right. one, one and 18 and that's probably yeah. a problem. But um, does that, as you're covering the NBA or the NFL and, and just looking at these other leagues and saying, look, this coach has got to go, this is not working. I mean, is that affected how you actually empathize in that sense? Or is that still a line you kind of draw? Or? I would say no. And that's only because, Part of the reason I think I'll never make the big, big bucks in this industry is because I'm willing to admit what I don't know and to make decisions based on what I do. And very often I'll say, based on what we're looking at and based on the information we have, this coach should be on the hot seat. I don't like how he's utilizing this personnel. We've seen a failure to convert regular season success into postseason over and over, or there's too much talent for the. I'll say all that stuff, but I will never call for a firing or I'll never say this person did this wrong because I'm not in the meetings. I'm not in the huddle. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what the game plan was. I don't know what call they made and whether that play was executed. I don't know if the players let the coach down in that moment. And we all see what we see and assume that the coach did the wrong thing. And so I'm so much less hot takey than a lot of my counterparts because I always have that nuance in mind when I'm talking about things. So I already wasn't really that person. Um, I'll be interested to see, especially like during football season where I think we hear more about owners, not just Jerry Jones, but other ones <laughs> and their role in the team. But Jerry Jones is one of them. Um, and whether that impacts my opinion, but um, thus far it has not greatly changed my view of the inner workings of teams other than just reminding me that there's a lot to know about a lot to know about and balance. Um, and I have the same opinion about women's sports. The investment has to be there with a mind for sustainability. And that's the biggest thing across all of them that I will continue to harp on that hasn't changed despite me being inside and knowing how much things cost and knowing how difficult it is to balance. Like you got to take that risk for the big payoff. Otherwise you're going to sit where you've always been. And it, it, it has to be something that you can sustain, but you can't be afraid. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really curious kind of on a couple media fronts, um, you know, with you being at ESPN for so long and um, now inside the NWSL, I think, you know, I've spoken about this before. And I think that in many ways, um, NWSL, even its precursor WPS um, has struggled on a media front. And that's not just getting the acts, getting the eyeballs, but it's actually like, how do we approach making ourselves discoverable or making people care about us? Um, and, and you get to see that kind of comparatively to some to some degree. I mean, as you said, the starting points, the investment, those are all kind of, uh, they need adjusting to, to be more even. But in terms of an actual approach, I'm curious on, on a few different levels, and maybe we could start with just like um, the way that the league presents itself. Uh, I'm sure maybe this is one of the things you have opinions on with, with the mm -hmm. league, but um, how do you see that? compared to, I guess we'll call them the major leagues, um, you know, how the league is um, presenting itself and, and how it's trying to, to reach new fans. Because I think that that's been a struggle in some ways of there's been that transition from the 
we are, you know, maybe just a, this innocent league to like embracing the fact that there's great soccer players, the the badass players, as you mentioned, yeah. it's been an adjustment, but I don't know that it's necessarily been fully embraced in the way it needs to be. So I will admit that I'm not in the meetings at the highest level with marketing, advertising, sales, all that stuff. And I hope because the announcement of our ownership came not that long before the season started, and then it was really diving deeply into the at home, what the Red Stars need to do. But I do hope to get a lot more involved in understanding the ethos of the larger league and its its kind of plans for the coming years. So I, I can't really speak to how they are trying to either sell themselves or what their overall kind of focus is. But I will say that I often bring up the WNBA in my conversations about how to do things, because I think leaning into who you are and the players you're made up of and the fans that are going to be ambitious and passionate about you um, is the right choice. You can't both sides it in women's sports. You're not going to save, you're not going to get a bunch of fans who inherently don't believe that women are equal, right? Like, okay, maybe you'll get a couple families that the kids beg so much that like parents who don't genuinely believe in women's sports and female athletes will like drag them out there for, you know, the parents get dragged out for a game or two, but the bulk of what you're looking for is actually people who probably aren't even aware and will be much more passionate because they, they make their choices and their purchasing decisions based on the ideals of a brand and not just based on the product. We know that. And we know that even more so after the fan project and all of that data came out and the WNBA has learned that, right? They started out by like, let's appeal to like men by having Sue Bird in a halter top on top of a car. And like, just stuff that wasn't a fit, right? Or let's downplay the fact that we're predominantly black and we have a, a lot of queer players. No, now they're just leaning into here's who we are. And here's our here's us playing basketball and being badasses. Here's our drip when we come into games. Like we like fashion too. We like all these things. And it's okay to like all these things and not try to fit into the very rigid idea of what sports has always been. And I think the NWSL needs to lean into that a little bit more. I just was on a great uh um, conference, global, global soccer with Brandy Chastain and this woman, Maggie Murphy, who's the CEO of Lewis FC, which is, you know, this 100% fan owned team that decided a few years ago to have 100% same investment in the men's and women's clubs for marketing, salary, everything else. And listening to some of the ideas she had about thinking outside the box for the women's games, my brain was going, I was like, okay, this Maggie woman's getting a call for me, like right <laughs> after this panel, because it did make me think that we keep applying the same model over and over again, despite understanding that the fan are different. The, the product can be different. The approach can be different. So I do think the NWSL on the one hand, soccer is such a team sport. So there can be pushback on the sale of superstars. On the other hand, it is such a crowded space for people's attention now. And you are going to go find a Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan. You're going to go find them and watch them in the way that you might not know about a team or a league. And we really need to lean into that. And um, as far as ESPN and other places covering it, I think so much of it is, again, if it's the way it's always been done, you have to have people in the room who are aware and think differently. It's the same thing as when someone puts together like a conference panel and it's on women and all the men on the, all the people on the panel are men. And you're like, wait a minute. How could anyone have like put this together and been like women in technology and it's all men? Like 
you need people in the room who think differently. And the same thing goes for, you know, we've seen a couple NWSL plays make the sports center top 10. You need people watching and looking for those and knowing about them and knowing who the stars are and what the stakes are to then say, this was a big deal. And we just have to keep pushing on that across every media outlet because so much of it is just awareness. And this Olympics hopefully will be another opportunity to do that. The NWSL, as you said, with WNBA, I think NBA obviously at a, at a really high level has driven the the player centric fandom, um, has really embraced that and, and harnessed it in a way that's driven popularity there. And, and I think, you know, there are a lot of parallels, like you said, with NWSL players. I mean, yes, U.S. women's national team players may be driving that at a high level, but there are some some interesting followings for just yeah. call them league level players, I guess. Um, yeah. Or international players yeah, who are fantastic that we right. don't know from us women's national team. But yeah. I mean, I mean, Kalia Watt is a fantastic Chicago red stars player, Mal Pugh, who's not currently on the Olympic team, and though she's been on the international squad before mm-hmm. there are great players, great stories. Um, you know, I could name a bunch of them from the league that you, you sell them and then everybody gets to know the other ones. But I think, we often underestimate the importance of that appeal to somebody, someone specific that they care about and want to know more about and want to see instead of just this product is great. The product is great, but the entry point for different people is going to be different things. I have a friend and I love telling the story. She literally doesn't care about sports. Um, been a friend of mine since high school and she saw a video going around of Megan Rapino talking about why they weren't going to go to the white house and she was like, who is this? And, and what is this? And I love her started watching her and decides to go to see a U.S. soccer watch party in the park here in Chicago, big screen fans everywhere. She brought a blanket and a book in case she got bored because <laughs> she doesn't like sports and then found herself just loving all of it. Came to a couple red stars game with me, flew out to go see a friendly from the U.S. wins national team out at the Rose bowl. And now it's just like, so into this team because of what it represents to her as a woman and a feminist and a progressive, not because she's someone who needed to be brought in by everyone telling you it's a great soccer game. And I think we need to think about all those different entry points, especially for people who have felt unwelcome at every day, historically the same kind of sporting events um, for, for a lot of obvious reasons why some people don't feel welcome there. I feel like you just got your friend a visa commercial or something. That's I like really a- should. I already <laughs> put her in one of my stories because I literally asked her, I'm like, what do you think the last sporting event was before this Red Stars game? And she was like, does Taylor Swift at the United Center count? I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. That's just because it was at the United Center doesn't mean it was a sporting event. Right, right. Yeah, that's not close, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about um, the other side of, of the ESPN side, I guess, being in the media front? Um, I, I got to see a little bit of the... I guess fight at a big level at, at NBC when I was there for a few years. You've you've been seeing it at ESPN for a long time in terms of the coverage of the sport. And I'm sure, you know, it's maybe an awkward position for you when you see the criticism of I mean, it's it's, you know, why is Sports Center tweeting this but not this? Why aren't you paying right. attention? Um, I'm wondering, maybe, maybe less so because you've talked about how you kind of balance that, but just for someone, you know, wondering what it looks like on the inside, what you can share of what do those conversations look like? How do you try to push that in unique ways? Because in some ways you feel like you're banging your head against the wall saying the same right. thing every, every month or year. So what does that look well, like? I- 
Yeah, but I'm also really aware of like, what was I doing before this opportunity came around and how I'm making sure that I'm not changing my behaviors because of this, because I do not want to have a conflict between my job and this opportunity. So I'm not walking into every meeting and being like, you know, what we should cover the NWSL. Like, <laughs> I heard the Red the Stars NBA finals. <laughs> like, God, who cares? Bucks, Suns, whatever. Um, but I was doing FaceTimes on Around the Horn about the NWSL having a 400% increase in viewer ratings after last year. That was before this came around. I was doing stories for SPNW about the Olympic and World Cup bumps. And I was throwing parties <laughs> at the Red Stars. All of the stuff was natural. And it's a part of what I already do, which is try to elevate interesting, good stories about women's sports and female athletes. So that hasn't changed. And I've, I pitched a couple of things and the timing wasn't right on, you know, maybe doing a Olympic journey diary kind of thing for a player or two that, are, that is NWSL and Olympics, and then come back post Olympics and talk about NWSL again. Um, I still think that's a great idea and I'd like to do it in the future. It's just not something that we were able to pull together in time. We've done stuff like that before. So again, it's not me, violating, you know, when, what I said about how these two things would, would, would live together. Um, But behind the scenes, there are a lot of us that are pushing to just remind people how things are evolving and changing, whether that's, listen, it's WNBA season starting that needs to be front page when it comes to looking for scores and schedules. And people don't really, I think who aren't on it as often don't realize that all that stuff moves. Right. right? So if there isn't a big NBA game, NBA is not on the top either. It's, it's going to be whatever's, like people might mostly be searching for that day because they're looking for that scheduled game or stat. Um, so it does move around, but there are certainly things to still be adapted. And I've done that with NWSL and said, Hey, we need this updated. And they, they, you know, they've, I, I now know the people to go to as soon as someone <laughs> told me the people to go to for that, I'm like, I'm so sorry, but now I'm going to just be a little bug in your bonnet all the time about like, Hey, we need these stats. We need these schedules. We need these scores. Um, so we're working on, I mean, it's hard because ESPN gets way more focused than anybody else in this stuff because they're the best. And that's what comes with being sort of the gold standard for sports coverage. Um, but it's also a place that employs more women and more people of color and cares more about women's sports and invests more about women's sports than most of the other outlets. So it's that balance of understanding and wanting to say, we're on it. We're working on it. We need to get better. We need to be better than everyone else by a lot because we're ESPN and we're better at all the men's stuff than everyone else by a lot. So we need to do that um, on the women's side too. Um, but just knowing it's hard. I think with social media, people assume that they know and see everything. And sometimes I want to be like, you're not in the meetings, bruh. You're not okay. reading my emails. I'm not going to air out my issues or concerns on social media. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it behind the scenes and I'm going to then hopefully see the results of my grievances in the way that we cover and do things. And that's, that's part of evolving. Yeah. I compare um, being a journalist in that sense, especially in, when so much is reliant upon Twitter for traffic or eyeballs that like, it's a lot like where somebody goes to the doctor and they show up and they tell them what's wrong already. And if it's not the same diagnosis, they're like, ah, that doctor has no idea what they're right. talking about. Except for us, it's like every single thing we tweet. It's, right. it's well, I just be. was saying this to someone too. I'm like, I don't mind your media criticism, but you lose all credibility when you say the media. Because the media is right. horse and stream. It's cat fancy. It's the Wall Street Journal. It's Breitbart. It's, I mean, that's not even necessarily really media, but you know what I mean? Like 
to I, the idea that like it doesn't fit their narrative or their agenda. And neither is all of ESPN. Think about all the different people that work for ESPN and what we all write about and care about and how we how we work. I just think that that's dangerous and also stupid. And it sends the wrong message about the work being done at any place. I think you mm-hmm. can find people who are doing really good, honest journalism anywhere. Well, not anywhere. In most places. Um and I think it's just real lazy to try to criticize. And I often, if people say that, like on my social media, especially friends, I'll hop in and be like, how do you do? I'm media. So right. maybe you should be more specific about who you're criticizing when you're talking about like war coverage, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not the media. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I'm uh, and, and I think, you know, part of the, what you were saying just, just a little bit earlier too. the, I think the rights holder aspect of things obviously changes dynamics. I mean, I've been in many of, uh, I saw a friend, uh, an old friend at a a wedding last weekend and uh, she's still at NBC. And I was talking about how I'd come in at 6am and and I'd want to be all premier league, but I'd come into notes about like Alpine skiing started at 4am has to be on the homepage. And I'm like, (laughs) why? Yeah. So, you know, that's a reality when somebody pulls up, you know, ESPN, for example, ESPN.com and, you know, whatever, like, why is there bull riding and no women's soccer? It's like, well, the right. bull riding's on the TV right now. It's, and there's yeah, certain, it's, on, it's on the Ocho or whatever certain yeah. realities <laughs> to that. But um, and, and I understand people being frustrated by that. I also think that some people are myopic in their in their views of how businesses work. Mm-hmm. Right. And they also don't understand their own role in that. It's like all the complaining about, you know, Tebow or LeBron. And then those are the same people that are clicking and reading all the things about Tebow and LeBron because they right. want to hate read them and they're right. just fueling it, you know. Well, that I think that's a good segue to kind of something that I'm curious about that, you know, as as a person of power of sorts with Chicago and, you know, Ooh, just I in, like the, that. in the, just in the it. space. I mean, <laughs> I think um, an opportunity that women's soccer has, women's sports, really, but um, I'll stick to soccer specifically because there's some really ugly things in the men's game and, and they play out in Europe and in, in other continents, let's say. And, and that's, you know, everything from the really horrific, you know, the racism that we see um, maybe away from the field or, or even in the stadium sometimes, but even um, I, I guess more subtle stuff like uh, the the money that's tossed around, where it's coming from, how it's used, um, some of the shadier aspects, just a lot of things that women's soccer does not need to rinse and repeat from the men's side. And, and mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's anything that you see from men's sports period that is maybe whether worth replicating or like absolutely women's soccer, women's sports does not need to go this way because it's not needed. Well, I'll say that's one of the first things when I got to the red stars that I did was I said, I'd like to know in house if we have any issues that we need to address with sexual harassment, sexual assault, diversity, hiring, all of the things that should be top of mind at, at every single organization, right? We are not going to mess around with those things. We're going to address them head on. We're going to eradicate them. We're going to put practices into place to prevent them from happening in the future and for us to know about them immediately if they do so that we can handle them well. That is not handled well in men's sports at all. We went over this earlier. I don't have to repeat myself on that. But if we can't do that, a league made up of powerful women with a lot of female leaders, if we can't make it a priority to make sure that our athletes, our staff, our employees, everybody are being treated equitably, fairly, legally, with respect, safely, then to expect it of someone like the NFL is is unfair. We got to do it in our own house and we got to do it the best way possible so that we can show everyone else, which is why the WNBA has been so impressive in any number of ways 
they have said, here, look, we're 99% vaccinated. Do like we did. Here, look, we didn't get into a screaming match with one of our owners, Kelly Leffler, and give her sound bites to go take to the news. We just found a candidate that we believed in, backed him, elevated his profile by like 800%, and then flipped the Senate. Do like we do, right? Like uh, we need to be examples that prove things work so that then they're copied. And actually, the NBA is great at using the WNBA as sort of an incubator for a lot of ideas. and seeing if they if they like them. So the same can be said for a lot of the choices that the teams and leagues make. Um, I also think, you know, to the point of what I said earlier about both talking to Angela Ruggiero, the legendary hockey player who's the CEO of Sports Innovation Lab that just released that fan project about fluid fans, talking to Kevin Brilliant, who's an employee for the Chicago Bulls, who uses um, psychology and economics to understand fan behavior and why people make decisions to influence everything from merchandise to the lines at United Center to everything else about how fans are not silos. They are, in fact, multiple things on any given day. One day, someone might take their season tickets and bring their family. They want a totally different experience than the next time they go and they bring a work colleague or a client. And they want a different experience than when they go with their college buddies. So to to view things differently than we always have so that we can present the product differently. And I think women's sports, one of the things Angela said in that, uh, in, in reference to that fan project that was fascinating is that this is a really pivotal time to potentially leapfrog some of the historical biases that get in the way of women's sports, because everyone's on a level playing field with new technology and new fan behavior, looking at the way women's sports fans have to find Twitch, Paramount plus CBS sports, right? It's frustrating but it also means that there's no passive fandom there. And that's the future of sports as the traditional model sort of disintegrates and it becomes about a la carte offerings and different rights holders. So right now, if you're an NFL fan, you're going to know where the game is, when it's on, how to watch it without moving a muscle. It will come to you over and over again. That's not how women's sports fans have to operate. They have to be agile and flexible and fluid. And that's the future of so many things. So this is a great opportunity for women's sports to take advantage of their size, their relative size and agility to move forward and try out new things and be different and then set a model that might work with the new landscape and then have the larger men's sports say, oh, actually, I really I like what they're doing over there. Um, And so we need to think like that instead of boxing ourselves in saying our game experience needs to be the same as you know, MLS or NFL or whatever, and WSL can be totally different. Yeah, I actually feel like the the argument around that is it, it's more nuanced than shocker as social media might allow because, <laughs> you know, I think that the there is a legitimate complaint to the fact that you can't find games sometimes. Um, but in some ways it's like they're all on Paramount Plus and the, well, mostly all, I guess, is yeah. maybe the point. Yeah. But but mm-hmm. the this OTT model is what everyone is doing with everything. And it's all a drive to specific platforms. It's moving everything to Peacock and shuttering NBCSN. It's putting stuff on ESPN plus. So it's not that one for me has been a little bit, I've seen it presented as a a sexist thing. And I'm not sure that's necessarily doing justice to like the actual media landscape of rights holders pushing. It's a little bit of both, right? Because we do know that there's such an increase for something like, when we saw um, Caitlin Clark and Paige Becker's face off in the women's college basketball tournament, and we knew that it was a big game. It was the two highest scores in the league. It wasn't even a final, but ESPN put the resources behind it because it was an ESPN ABC product. They knew it was going to be on their air. They knew they could drive a storyline and mm-hmm. millions of people watched it. Right. So there is something to be said for even me, who's an owner 
the ease of, oh, good, it's on CBS Sports. I just turn it on and watch it on my TV laying on my couch instead of let me grab my computer, let me set up my Twitch. But then on the Twitch, you're also having fun talking to people in the comments section. And maybe that's having the, fun. <laughs> maybe having fun. That's I've never identified myself in there. I just usually read them. I don't comment. I've been, I've been in some of the watch parties, though, for NWSL before I was an owner where they invited me. And I had a lot of fun watching live while being in a box and chatting with other people about what we were watching. That's a big part of the future of sports fans that's being tested in women's sports sort of unintentionally as opposed to as a second viewing, right? There's like, we've seen it, especially like, I think it was the Nickelodeon game was a second place to watch an NFL playoff game, but watch it with slime and monsters. And then there was a Twitch version of that where you could watch it and comment and bet like what you thought was going to happen next. All of that is going to look a lot probably more common in the future. Um, we're just getting ahead of it in ways that might actually benefit us, even though right now they're like a little frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a couple of fun things before we uh, we disconnect. Maybe maybe fun, hopefully. Yeah, the, um, <laughs> on a media front, and maybe I'll, I'll steal an idea from you. Like, what is something that you look at using the media brain, but knowing you know that you're an owner and say like, I wish somebody were covering us, us being the league, the team, the players like this, doing this story, like this is a missing element that would be so big that that would be great for the property. Um, You know what I was thinking about, and I haven't watched it, but I've heard in listening to the media landscape around me, this massive leap in interest in, I'm not even going to really know, I think it's called this F1 racing. Okay. Right. You know, where I, I've, uh, yes, I've dealt with F1 racing in previous. Channels. There's like a Netflix show. I think it's okay. Netflix or I think it's Netflix and it's behind the scenes of mm-hmm. all the racers and Lewis Hamilton and all the superstars and the people working on the cars and where the races are. I had never heard anyone in most of my landscape around media on radio and TV talking about F1. This show starts and people are fascinated by the drivers and their stories and the races. And that's what I want is, and there, there CBS did do a little documentary on the bubble season for the NWSL last year. Um, but that's what I want is a really keen, like really smart, creative production crew that focuses on reality storytelling and documentary work to do something on the red stars would be great behind the scenes for a season, uh, episodes every week, um, or on the league itself where you got to know the people, because that's when you care about really following up and showing up for games and being a part of it. You got to know the rooting crew and all that stuff. So something like that. And I'd admit to not having watched it, but I've seen the effect of it mm-hmm. like instantly in yeah. the way people talk about it and get attached to it. And I, I want to, I want to draw on that. We have some listeners in North Carolina screaming about your idea because I don't know if you know that whole story, but that's a, no. a different thing. Well, the, basically that exists somewhere in a vault, exactly what you're describing. Um, the courage were followed around for the entirety of 2018 and like a hard knocks type of thing. Yeah. And then the lifetime deal ended and it didn't have a house. So it's the film is is there, but it has a pretty high purchase price is my understanding. And nobody has okay. actually brought it to a screen. This so it's like the last dance. We finally got to see <laughs> the footage from like decades. Okay. So, I think I heard something. I think I've heard something about that. I never knew what people were referring to talking about like release the footage or whatever. Yeah. So um, my understanding is it's probably like a six figure purchase, which is probably something that a lot of people look at and say, 
yeah. you know, how do we make that work? So I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's been years. So hopefully we see it one day. Yeah. Um, all right. La- last one, I guess. What What is something, um, I don't know if what you've learned so far, but do you have like a favorite thing from the league that you've discovered or um, I don't know if that's, I mean, outside of the team and players that, you know, are in Chicago, but um, a certain thing about like league online culture after dark, uh, anything like, you know, that you didn't know before about the league that now that you're so much more invested in it, that is a big deal. I mean, the first one will be real and self-serving, which is that I didn't really realize how invested the red stars in are in a lot of things that I really care about, um, in the community, whether that's, you know, partnering with black owned businesses to naming the press box after Ida B. Wells, who's a really important Chicago figure, one of the few women in Chicago that gets the kind of reputation and name recognition as some of the men that helped, you know, create the city. Um, so that was really cool to become a part of something that I already assumed was on the right side of things, but is really like every day putting in the work like that. Um, and then I would say on a sillier level, I just have really, by following a lot more of the players on social media, I've really come to appreciate a lot more of like the personalities and the people I don't know as well, cause they're not on the national team. Um, and I want to, I want to make that more public too. rivalries teams that hate each other, players that hate each other, players that were dating and aren't dating anymore that we like never, like, I want to know, like, was that amicable or when you get out on the pitch, are you like, let's go. You still have that shirt that I said I wanted back. Like that kind of stuff. I want a little bit more of, but as I get more into the world where I'm seeing some of those, I'm like, Ooh, juicy. Like I want, you know, I want in on that gossip. Yeah, that's that's uh, maybe an evolution of the league at some point. Maybe I don't know. Um, well, Sarah Spain has been fun. Thank you for joining me. You can catch, I guess, do a little plug for your your various. Yeah, programming. so let's see. Um, Spain and Fitz is a national ESPN radio every weekday, seven to nine p.m. Eastern. That's what she said is my podcast. New ones every Tuesday. This week is Angela Rogero. As I mentioned, talked about the fan project. You should definitely listen. It's really, really interesting. All the data that they came up with on that. Um, I often do around the horn a couple times a week, usually Tuesday, Friday, sometimes highly questionable outside the lines. Most weeks, uh, right for ESPNW. That's most of it. Follow, it. The red stars, the- follow the red stars, follow the red stars, follow the red stars, follow the red stars, watch the red stars. <laughs> I'm sure people, anybody listening to this probably, probably should be, but, uh, <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. I'm sure it's, it's quite busy. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to kicking back a podcast brought to you by the equalizer. And now with blue wire podcasts, if you missed any of our great interviews from the past, or you don't want to miss anything going forward. And I promise you that you don't please subscribe on any platform you're listening please go ahead and rate and review our podcast. It really does help with visibility. That's that for this episode. We'll be back soon with another great guest from the world of women's soccer.